All aboard for the Silver Streak today on Cinema Oblivia. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivia, your podcast for discussions on out-of-fashion, out-of-date, forgotten, unloved, or unremembered films. I'm your host, James Eldred, and I'm very excited today to be joined by my fellow American person now living in Japan, so I can do this at a reasonable hour. Who's <laughs> joining me today? Good evening, the world. Uh, this is Diamond Fight, and uh, you know, I left my jag in Kansas City. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. But anyway, thanks for coming today, Diamond. You're in Osaka. I'm in Tokyo. We're both hiding, unvaccinated, and living living day by day. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. That would be nice yeah, to get one of those. Someday, yes. Uh, but Willie, I mean, I think a lot of people listening to this might know who you are. But if they don't, can you tell everyone about yourself really quick? Sure. Uh, well, I'm a freelance writer and podcaster. I've appeared on Retronauts many times, and I write a weekly column for them. behind. Mm-hmm. It's behind their Patreon paywall, but uh, I've been contributing to them for a while now and yeah written for other sites as well ign wired game pro us gamer other sites that don't exist anymore you know it's uh that's the freelance gig <laughs> been, been there done that uh, anyone who's who is listening to this who's followed me online knows me if i for any of my writing for my film writing but i have for my music writing but i used to do film writing and i used to do comic book writing and it's all gone now mm. so like I used to write for his entertainment, uh, coming attractions and all these websites that are just like web 1.0 dead and buried. But, uh, as they say in Japan, Shogunai, mm. that means that's life. But today we are talking about the fantastic 1976 action comedy mystery hybrid silver streak <laughs> starring, um, the wonderful Gene Wilder and the amazing Richard Pryor. This was one that you picked out diamond. Why did you choose this movie? Well, uh, Silver Streak is one of those movies that, uh, when I was growing up back in New York, one of my favorite channels, and it was it was not it was not a net, not like a major network channel. It was double. It was Channel Eleven, WPIX, mm-hmm. out of New York, and that was just the kind of channel that just showed showed a lot of syndicated stuff, and they definitely aired a lot of movies, and mm-hmm. for whatever reason, this was one of the movies that did, they aired a lot. And I saw it a lot as a kid. And each time I watched it, I was like, what's, what's even, what's happening now? Like this movie, <laughs> we, you know, we'll talk about it. Once it gets moving, it is, it really does not stop. It's, it's not just a metaphor in the trailer. Like, no, the movie doesn't stop moving. And it was just this thing that I, I grew up watching. So I, I saw it so many times and just, it was, it was always on. And then, you know, once you kind of stop watching those TV movies and they sort of fall out of fashion, you just don't think about it anymore. Like I've never... I've never rented this movie, you know, I've never like paid money for it. And then, you know, all of a sudden it's, you realize, wait, it's been 20 years since I saw this movie that I used to watch all the time. And uh, especially, you know, five years ago when Gene Wilder passed, 
Mm-hmm. You know, it hit me, you know, obviously, of course, I've seen Willy Wonka. Of course, I've seen the producers, you know, of course, I've seen Blazing Saddles. But yeah. to me, it was like, well, the movie I saw him the most in was Silver Street because this movie was, I just, wa- I watched it all the time. <laughs> so it just, it's a movie that stuck with me. So when you showed me a list of candidates, I was like, well, that's, that's high on the list. I watched that one, you know, it was this or Phantom of the Paradise, but I missed that slot. So yeah, I'll everybody's. <laughs> Of the first group of people I asked, everybody, Emma jumped on that like a hawk, man. And every, everybody else was pissed off. It's hilarious that that movie seems to be so in demand. But yeah, this movie, I put it on my list because I had never seen it until last year. Really? And it's funny because when I was a kid, I had seen I had seen Stir Crazy as a small child because, again, my dad. Mm. And I had seen... Hear no evil, see no evil, or see no evil, hear no evil, whatever the order is of that. Yes. Probably dozens of times. Oh, and yeah. I don't know and I don't know why, because it's not that good. But I had never seen this one. And during the lo- the first lockdown, my boyfriend and I somehow got on a weird bent of train movies. <laughs> we watched this, the original Murder on the Orient Express, The Lady Vanishes by Hitchcock, and Runaway Trains starring John Voight and Eric Roberts, which is an amazing movie in a whole other podcast. Ooh. And I was just like, I, I don't know how that happened. We weren't planning it. And, but like, I was like, hey, this one too. It's just a train. Let's, why not? We can't go anywhere. Let's simulate it. And yeah, it really blew me away by just how goddamn good it was and how compared to a lot of other movies, I hadn't heard of it. You know, it's on, it was, it, at one point, it was on AFI's list of 100, the 100 greatest comedies of all time. <sighs> wow. And I think it's still, it was very high on the list. It was in the 90s. But hey, it's still there. And for a movie with such regard, I'm like, well, why haven't I seen this? So it was never on TV where I was. And I had seen one scene from the film, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, I had never seen anything from it. <laughs> Saw it, immediately loved it. And then we rewatched Stir Crazy, and that ha- that's up and down, but still liked that, and didn't go back to see No Evil, No Evil. I think I'm good. Still haven't seen the other movie, but I know it's bad. So yeah, I have a theory about See No Evil, Hear No Evil. My theory is that I I'm a little older than you, but maybe just I know for me when that movie came out, like I was just starting to get get into like R-rated movies as an interest. Like I wasn't, mm-hmm. I still wasn't 17, but I was definitely like early teens. And I think we rented it in a sleepover and, you know, it's oh, like, okay. it's broad comedy, but there's also like some nudity in it. And I knew, again, I knew who Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor were. So like, I just thought it was, I thought it was fun. Again, it, it moves, it moves well. It's not yet. Yeah, a lot of it's kind of weird. And I think definitely at this point you watch it now, you're like, Hey, is that Kevin Spacey? It is Kevin Spacey. <laughs> oh no. But yeah, can't hold that against the movie. That's <laughs> And yeah, well, you know, you said you're a teen. Like, no, I saw Stir Crazy when I was five years old. Like, without question. I know I did. Again, going back to, like I say on almost every episode, my dad at the video store just did not care. Mm -hmm. And as long as it wasn't like Clockwork Orange or anything that was like super messed up, it was like, oh, that's fine. Let the kids watch the Warriors. It's fine. No, it's cool. Whatever. He's five. So yeah, but... (laughs) This movie in particular, I feel like thematically and content-wise, it's definitely like, this is an adult story, but apparently it's rated yeah. PG according to the trailer. It's just like, really? Okay. That, remember, that's pre-PG-13. That's true. There's no, there's no PG-13. There's no nudity. No. I don't think. The, most of the violence does not have blood. 
There's only a little, yeah, there's a little bit the of blood. Very little it's, blood. It's definitely like, it's James Bond level of violence, but just like, I just feel like the tone of the movie is kind of like, it's about adults, you know, they hook up, they, they you know, they, they don't curse, but they talk dirty to each other. Like there's, there are some hard, hard end bombs in this movie. <laughs> Well, that's that. We'll get back to that <laughs> different time, man. Different time, and uh, yeah, but yeah, the movie really quick. What it's about before we get into it, it's it's a throwback to kind of like uh, North by Northwest style, like comedic action films. And Gene Wilder is a guy on a train, and bad things happen to him, and it, and it occasionally gets off the train and back on the train, and meets a, a wacky cast of characters. But uh, do you have any transcontinental train experience? Like, did this movie hit home for you that way? Oh, I, um, well, I wrote a lot of trains because I, I grew up in New York, but I grew up in the suburbs. So okay. I definitely took trains a lot to get into and out of New York City. No, I mean like Amtrak. And well, then I would say when I got a little bit older, I took trains like in, um, to go upstate sometimes. We would take trains. Mm-hmm. Like I know, like when I went to uh, when I started visiting colleges in upstate New York, mm-hmm. we didn't take road trips. We would take train trips. Oh, okay. So I definitely took a, a couple train trips out that way. I've never done like the long train trip. Like I've never slept on a train. Okay. But I definitely I, I've taken my share of of certainly, you know, obviously here in Japan, it's it's totally normal to get on a train for a couple hours. Oh yeah, uh, that's and it's fantastic. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, it is. Whereas if you take a train for a couple hours in, in America, you're probably getting stuck somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I took when I was a kid. My mom hates flying, and when I was in third grade, we took a train from Toledo, Ohio, to Oregon, Salem, Oregon. <sighs> wow. That's a two night trip, and there's a there's a woman in this. I bring this up because there's a woman in the movie very early on, kind of a creepy woman who Gene Wilder tries to avoid yeah. who makes her own perfumes. And then there's another woman who keeps yelling rapist at him for almost no reason. Yeah. <laughs> and a few other people like that. And my one of my friends who used to travel by train was like, oh yes, train people. <laughs> so th- even as a little kid, I would sometimes realize that sometimes these people who voluntarily go on these transcontinent, these these long ass train trips they're they're different <laughs> and i feel like i wish that was one thing the movie tackled more about trains because like what i remember that on the train also there's the part about fat people on trains yeah um, that's a i, I almost i think I, it took me a couple views like is that a joke i guess it's a joke <laughs> well i do like the joke of the fat men drinking tab <laughs> like because tab was the first diet soda in the mid seventies. So fat men drinking tab, that's good. 1976 humor. And I'm a big dude and I have been a big dude on a train (laughs) and I have been in that situation where you're walking down one way and someone's walking down the other and somebody's got to turn around. So I can't get too mad at it. It's it's, I've been there. I I remember (laughs) off topic, but I, Speaking of train people, yeah, I was tr- we're taking a train to Chicago. I'm older. I'm like in my teens, and it's that situation where we have to like squeeze past somebody. And this woman, I'm like 15 years old, pokes my stomach like I'm the Pillsbury Doughboy, and then says, <laughs> "Kissing cousins." Yeah, no. <laughs> and I was like, "Nope." <laughs> what? 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 
what? And my brother, my brother who is more of a fan of making people miserable, he literally and, and insulting and being kind of a jerk. He was like, after all, afterwards, he was like, that was, that was, that was kind of fucked up. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's not allowed at all. I that's not, that was weird. It was weird. My other my other train memory is going back from Oregon. The train got stuck in a blizzard, and we were trapped outside Chicago, and they had to deliver KFC to the train. Because all the food, we ran out of food, and wow. we were trapped in the train. And the only movie they had that you could watch was Mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched Mannequin like eighteen times. I still remember a lot about Mannequin. <laughs> I'm, well, there's there's worse, I guess. There's worse choices. Yeah, there's worse choices. Yeah, Mannequin too. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> so anyway. surprised when i first started researching it the talent involved with this film hmm. i did not know this was a an arthur hiller movie arthur hiller was a pretty big director back in the day he made love story hmm. which was a terrible movie but a huge hit gigantic huge i love love so love story is much in the vein of city of angels or I guess West Side Story. It is a I love you, I love you. Oh fuck, I'm dead. Movie. Yeah, and I hate I hate those movies. So <laughs> that's not up my alley. He did some interesting stuff before that. He he started in TV, did some Perry Mason, The Rifleman, and then made a few big movies. There's one called The Americanization of Emily, which I've which I've always wanted to see. It's supposed to be a pretty important movie that that got nominated for some Oscars. Then Love Story, and then he kind of moved on to comedy. And did two Neil Simon movies, uh, collaborations, The Out-of-Towners and Plaza Suite in 70 and 71. You seen those? You know either of those? Uh, I definitely saw, if not all, most of Out-of-Towners. I remember that one. That, that's uh, Jack Lemmon and... Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, I forget the actress's name, but she was... Yeah, like, it's a really it's a really funny pair. It's, it's, again, I'm a sucker for New York movies. That's very much like a New York movie where it's like they just, they, they're, they're visiting mm. New York and like everything goes wrong. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great movie. The remake's terrible. That movie's fantastic. Mm. And yeah, Zach Lemon's really good. And that was Sandy Dennis is her name. Yes. And yes. And that's a that was a pretty big hit. And then The Hospital, which was a George C. Scott movie, that won an Oscar. And then he made a serious movie about the Holocaust called The Man in the Glass Booth, which I have no, no, nothing on. Mm. <laughs> and then this. So he... Arthur Hiller had a really weird career. Uh, huge highs, huge lows. I made a list of some of his movies. Have you seen any of these other films by him? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, first of all, I mean, right, right off the bat, See No Evil, Hear No Evil is on here. That's, that's, yeah, that's he came him. back for that's that him. one. Again, I'm from New York, so of course I saw The Babe, and I hated that movie. <laughs> it's a bad movie. And an Alan Smithy film is just, is just notorious. I've never actually seen uh, the whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember the ads for Carpool coming out, because at that point, he was... Either either was or had just finished being the president of the goddamn academy. Yes, Arthur Hiller 
Arthur Hill is one of those dudes who's like behind the scenes. It's like super, super well regarded. He was the president of the Academy of Most Pictures and Arts and Sciences. Right. From 93 to 97. He was the president of the Directors Guild of America, you know, from 89 to 93. So like while his film output may be a little uneven, he maybe he networked really well or that was something he would he preferred to do. I don't know, but he made Making Love, which is a really strange, interesting movie. It's one of the very first gay male homosexual-themed love stories. It's not that good, but it's, you know, points for trying. And But then he would make, he made, like, Arthur Arthur with Al Pacino, which was a huge bomb. Yeah. And taking care of business. That's, that's a, I remember that's a weird one. That's like a, that's the one with, it's Charles Grodin and Jim Belushi, right? It's like a buddy sort yeah. of like mismatched comedy like one of them steals the other's identity somehow it's yeah he belusi steals Groden's. <laughs> he has like this it's a very yuppie movie yeah. he steals uh this like past book this this giant book with all his, his identity i forgot what he calls it and james belusi goes he wants to go to the cubs game yeah hey you know who wrote that movie jj abrams wow so, <laughs> Got to start somewhere, man. <laughs> That's not the worst movie Arthur Hiller made, not by a long shot. No. You know, he made, he made, um, like you said, The Babe. He made Carpool with Tom Arnold, the Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood Burn. His last movie was a National Lampoon straight-to-video movie called Pucked, starring <sighs> John Bon Jovi. It's sad. He passed away a few years ago. He left behind a very strange legacy of films. Mm. I would say of his lesser-known films... There's a movie called Outrageous Fortune. I've heard of it. That's is that uh, Bette Midler and Shelley Long? Bette Midler and Shelley Long. Yeah. That and George Carlin <laughs> is a small part in that. That movie is hilarious. It is a, it's basically a buddy cop comedy with two women who aren't cops. And <laughs> it and Shelley Long is playing the one character she can play, and <laughs> Bette Midler is playing Bette Midler, and it's <laughs> absolutely great best use of combative ballet in film history that's a great movie i I recommend that one the writer of this is another fantastic uh, talent who unfortunately had a pretty short career colin higgins Mm. he was a writer he worked on a lot of tv work that i'll get to and then he wrote the screenplay for harold and maude oh um, that's a great movie which is one of my all-time favorite movies yeah i've seen harold and maude oh yeah yeah absolutely but he really wanted to direct. He directed a big hit for Chevy Chase called Foul Play in 78. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that came up in this way because I know you asked in the, at the end of the movie, what's another movie like this one? And the other one is Foul Play for me because that, that was also a movie I saw a lot growing up on TV. And it's this weird sort of meandering action comedy. But it's like there's so much happening. There's so much plot. And so to, to find out that it came out from the same guy's brain, that makes so much sense. Yeah, he wrote it before Silver Streak. Oh. And then after Silver Streak became a hit, he went back to it. I would love to see Foul Play. I can't find it anywhere. It's not I don't streaming in America. You know, I, I use a VPN to get streaming stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's not streaming on Amazon. It might be somewhere, but I, I wasn't able to get a, get a hold of it before this. But I do really want to see it. I do like early Chevy Chase. And it does have a uh, Goldie Hawn. I love Goldie Hawn. Yeah, it's also so, it's also got early. It's pre Arthur uh, Dudley Moore shows up. Oh man, this sounds great. Yeah, yeah. I want to see that. And um, God, I, I feel like yeah, there's like a bunch of again, there's like there's murderers and but like they're like weird, they're, like they're really weird guys. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> you you want to see that. if you like if we're here talking about Silver Streak, you definitely need to find Foul Play. 
I yeah, so I I haven't seen that, but I have seen his two other the two other films he directed, which were Nine to Five and the best little whorehouse in Texas. <laughs> Both of those movies are incredible. Both have Dolly Parton. You know, Colin Higgins was openly gay, and it it shows in his work. I think sometimes, and it shows not to not to use broad stereotypes, mm-hmm. but his movies are fabulous. Yeah, like <laughs> Nine to Five is fabulous. Best Little House in Texas is incredible. They both that dude loved Dolly Parton, and I would imagine and made the most of it. And those are both great movies. Nine to Five is one of the best like feminist theme movies you'll ever see in your entire life. It's Oh, that movie's great. I, I want to watch it again right now. Yeah. <laughs> also has Dabney Coleman, who's awesome. In it. Oh, yeah. But Love Dabney. I think the, yeah. So like he, those are the big creative people behind this. But I think the really strange stories behind this are by the producers <laughs> who made this movie. So it's Edward K. Milkus and Thomas L. Miller with um, a couple other executive producers. And the Milkus and Miller are TV producers almost entirely. Milkus produced Star Trek, was an associate producer on Star Trek. Miller produced very strange 70s television. He made a show called The Professor and Me. And the, no, The Nanny and the Professor, which is a bewitched ripoff, and Me and the Chimp. <laughs> you know, it's funny. In these notes, you put that on one line, and I was like, is that one show? <laughs> I oh, The Nanny and the Professor and Me and the Chimp. It's like the, the TV comedy version of a, the cook, the thief, the wife as his lover. That I hope, <laughs> and Bob I, and oh, man, Ta- I Carol and Ted Nels. <laughs> yeah, Bob and Carol and Ted Oh, no, as a chimp. <laughs> It's a different movie. But he also worked with Milkus early on, and they started making TV movies, one of which was written by Colin Higgins, this movie I desperately want to see now that I found out about it, called The Devil's Daughter. Mm. 1972, Shelley Winters heads a satanic call and makes someone marry a demon. Like, Wow. That's I, I Villainous Shelley Winters is always A-plus films, like Cleopatra Jones. She's great in that as a psychotic lesbian heroin dealer. Just, you know, <laughs> Shelly Winters when she's not giving a fuck and just going ape shit's great. But they did a lot of crazy weird TV stuff. And then they teamed up with Gary Marshall and they filmed Millis, Mil- Miller and Milkus Productions. And that's Happy Days. That's Laverne and Shirley. That's Mork and Mindy. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And so, like, this is kind of a, an outlier for these guys, they, they they didn't do a lot of movies. They they mostly stuck to TV. And it did really, really well for them because they kind of invented TGIF. They created Family Matters, Full House, Perfect Strangers, and Step by Step. So they're, they're monsters. I hate Step by Step so much. <laughs> they also put this best little best little whole house in Texas. So they, they had a they had a thing with Higgins. I, I, it is funny. This is a very big movie. It's on a train. Things are moving, you know, all kinds of stuff. But parts of it do have, like, a, a wacky TV comedy vibe, in my opinion. Do, do you think I'm crazy there or not? No, I get it. it just there, there are these little scenes that just sort of come up, and it's like, well, here's here's a, here's just a fun – it's almost like a sketch, you know? You know, like Gene Wilder meets meets a stranger, and it's like, okay, I need to, I need to get back on the train. She's like, okay, I need you to milk my cow. And it's like, okay. <laughs> I'll milk a cow then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that doesn't advance the story other than the fact that it gets him back on the train, but it's just, it just, yeah. it's like, a, it plays out like a short sketch. Yeah. It, it's very sketchy and that sketchy, like sketch comedy, that sketchy. Has, and I don't know about that, right. you know, at, at times. And it, it just, it, I don't know. It has a feel of like Mork and Mindy at times, just really wacky, goofy, 
broad jokes and i don't know if i'm just reading too much into it or what but that that's what i pick out of it i mean you people know? people come in and they appear and it's very much like here's special here's the special guest star of the week you know like there's a yeah yeah it's it's a lot of scenes come i mean me watching this in 2021 i was like oh sh- oh shit oh shit oh shit <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of tv people in this movie yeah and i i bet that is tied to it because they want the only tv people another tv person who made this was the executive producer, Martin Rancherhoff. His company, Filmways, created Petticoat Junction, Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, Mr. Ed and the Adams Family. So they're very much that late 60s, early 70s kind of TV, that the same the same wheelhouse as the other guys. And the, the last producer of note, for me, I know not producer talk is sometimes boring, but I find it interesting because that's how you find out how all these people meet. Like yeah. When you, when, you, when you see that, how is, you know, like... Oh wow! The same guys who did Happy Days did this, and so I bet they knew this guy in TV, and that's why he's in this movie. And it's interesting to to make those connections, you know. But the last guy had nothing to do with TV. That was uh, Frankie Ablins. He he was the president of Paramount. Like, he was the the head of Paramount in the early seventies. He's responsible for Godfather. Like that's his baby. So good on him. But then he just quit. He resigned and went back to being a producer and produced this. He produced Mommy Dearest, <laughs> which he also co-wrote, uh, and he produced Congo. That was probably the end of <laughs> I like Congo. It's bad. But Congo's my favorite because Congo, every critic hated it, but it still made $100 million because people wanted to see apes fuck shit up. <laughs> Just like, you know, it's, it's beyond. It's critic, it's, it's critic proof. You get albino apes killing people. I'm like, sign me up. Yeah. Bruce Campbell's in the movie for like two minutes. And Joe Don Baker. <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, yeah, and of course, the score is by Henry Mancini. He's a legend. Oh, yeah. Pink Panther, Charade, again, Mommy Dearest, <laughs> Victor Victoria, great mouse detective. Like, Henry Mancini is one of the greatest, greatest composers of all time. And I think he's used to great effect in this movie. You know, when you look at the people behind the producers and such behind this movie, you start to feel like this is like, this is like the team that created Nick at Night <laughs> because how many of these shows are now just being run, rerun forever? <laughs> well, not anymore. We're too old now. But uh, yeah, like like Nick at Night is now like, you know, like Roseanne. And even not even that. It's past Roseanne now. It's probably something that I don't even know. You know, it's probably step by step. It is. You're right. That that's the that's it's Nick. It's the Nick at Night TV. It's it's, it's foundational television. Like, but that that's the behind the scenes people. The you know the cast is the where the I think where this movie comes together because the, the script is great it has a tight script it's directed very well and all that that it looks great and all that stuff but without this cast I feel that they really sell the energy of the movie you know the the, the, the man Gene Wilder is the lead he plays you know Gene Wilder plays George and Gene Wilder does psychotic manic comedy energy almost better than everybody hmm. like, no one does it better yeah when, when he gets all worked up and he starts he's 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 yeah when he gets hysterical <laughs> yeah what oh god it's it, in every movie he does that like the producers like yes his yeah yeah that's his first big movie was the producers he had a small part in bonnie and clyde that went to the producers that's crazy yeah, i was surprised because yeah. you know in that movie he's sort of like he's playing this very young baby-faced character and you know you look at the credits it very much seems like here's this new talent but it's like he was already in his thirties at that point. He just he'd, he'd been working in different things, and and like he's older than you realize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he he is one of those guys also that kind of got old fast and stayed there. Yeah, 
which which I is I I talk about sometimes on this podcast. It's it's like the Patrick Stewart or Sean Connery method, like hit fifty when you're forty and stay fifty for like thirty years. It's good it's it's good work if you can get it. But yeah, Gene Wild is a legend and it's funny because he didn't really do that much in film. If you if you look back at his filmography, he he did a lot of stuff in the seventies, a little bit in the eighties, and then stopped acting. Yeah. Yeah. He he when you read stuff about this movie, he's like he liked this script. It's one of the few scripts I liked. Stuff he he didn't seem to like movies. <laughs> and it's just he, his last movie was in ninety one. He had a TV show that failed, did a few other TV things, and this went to writing. He seems like the kind of guy who really, you know, the fact that he the fact that he did end up just sort of spent the rest of his the end of his life just writing and working on things by himself. Maybe he was the kind of guy who just like he had a lot of creative ideas and when you're part of a movie, it's like either you're in charge or you're just kind of doing what everyone says. So maybe for him it was like, because I know all the stories of Willy Wonka, like they talk about how much he had influence over how Willy Wonka sort of behaved and mm-hmm. sort of transformed that role and made it his own. And, you know, obviously Young Frankenstein, I think he has, doesn't he have like a, a writer, like a writing credit on Young Frankenstein or like he's, I, he's more than just the star of that movie. I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. he did. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is this movie very much feels like well you know I'll do it sure and then he just mm-hmm. it was just fun for him I think yeah it's it's funny that like for you you say that your go to Gene Wilder film at like after he passed was was Willy Wonka and this for me my go to Gene Wilder film as a kid like, was Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein those are the ones that I watched every day as a kid maybe again not appropriate but you know whatever and Bla- blazing saddles was co-written by richard pryor yes who is who who kind of co-stars in this film it's weird because like we'll get into it he doesn't show up until way late in this movie and it's almost like what happened to him he took the box this is the right movie right but yeah he he co-wrote Blazing Saddles. He was supposed to, I did not know this. He was supposed to star in Blazing Saddles. Yeah, he was already he was already he was already huge at that point, nineteen seventy seven. He was huge at that point because of his, his comedy records, the names of which I cannot say. Yep. Um they're very good. Have you ever listened to his old his old comedy records? <sighs> I know I've heard bits of them. I don't think I've I don't think I've heard the whole album straight through. I've definitely heard like parts of them. I re- I really recommend the the one that ends in the word crazy yeah. from 1974, mm-hmm. the name of that is a comment that somebody in the audience says about Richard Pryor. And it's like, after a really good joke. And it's real, It's a great record. Yeah, Richard Pryor is a, was a super, I mean, I'm, me saying this, everyone knows this, Richard Pryor was a super influential stand-up comic. Like, one of the best in the 70s, like, no question. But he also loved cocaine. Mm-hmm. So, that probably cost him the role in Blazing Saddles and that's why it went to what's his name? Crap. Uh Cleveland uh, Little, I think. Yeah, Cleveland Little. Yeah. Cleveland Little. Went to Cleveland Little instead of him. And it's funny cuz I did an episode recently about um Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia and which is a messed up Sam Peckinpah film and that has Gig Young in it and Gig Young was supposed to be the Gene Wilder character. Oh, the Frisco kid. The Frisco Kid. They filmed one day with him, and he had he was suffering from alcohol withdrawal so much he got sick, 
and because Gig Young was a tragic alcoholic. So that means that both of the stars of Blazing Saddles were replaced because of out because of substance abuse, which is dark, but you know, it, it is what it is. And and but yeah, Blazing Saddles was a huge hit, and that helped him get, I think, a lot of writing work. He also wrote for Sanford and Son, all kinds of stuff like that. He was getting before this, he was getting some starring roles. He's in he's like fourth build in Uptown Saturday Night, which is a Sidney Poitier film with uh, Harry Belafonte and Bill Cosby. And um, he's in uh, Lady Sings the Blues, the Billy Holiday biopic, which is supposed to be good. He's in the, the same year as this, he's in Car Wash. Is he Car Wash? Uh, I remember renting it a long time ago, but hey, it's, I, I, it's something I did want to see again. Yeah. Car Wash is an ensemble film, and he's barely in it. He has one scene. He steals a movie in his one scene, but that, that that's another movie. Like that's a Joel Schumacher movie, and so when mm. any, when everybody when anybody ever says Joel Schumacher only made one good movie, Lost Boys, I'm like, you're wrong. <laughs> you got to watch Car Wash. I think Richard Pryor. He doesn't come in late till this, but he's great in this movie. God, how do I? He he has such a weird energy of a lot of comedians. Especially, you know, and of that time, they want to look tough and like, especially like that's a stereotype of a lot of black comedians, like Eddie Murphy. They want to be like bad and stuff. But Richard Pryor is really good at being pathetic and frazzled. <laughs> he definitely, when he appears, he wants to leave right away. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, you, you can just pull over the car here, man. I don't yeah. know if it's about this. Like he has that that shaky voice he can turn on. That's really funny. And it shows up in a lot of his movies because, like, he he had such a weird career. You know, after he set himself on fire, literally, when freebasing, I was researching this, and it's not funny. It's 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 funny. It's kind of funny. The the his people or somebody originally told the press that he got burns over thirty percent of his body because his lighter exploded. <laughs> Like no, it ex- it exploded with cocaine on it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and rum. Because what really happened is he poured he poured rum on he poured rum on himself and lit himself on fire, and he somehow recovered from that and went on to be like super mainstream. And I think his more mainstream films are very hit or miss. Like there's the toy, <laughs> there's Superman three. He didn't even put that on here, but yeah. Oh, you know, I don't remember Superman 3. That's funny because the only... I, it's another one I used to watch a lot as a kid. And the only things I remember from Superman 3 are the Richard Pryor bits. Right. And the fact, you know, and, and the scheme he has too, where he makes a lot, where he gets rich. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like he's, Which he's, came he's, up like, in office some, space years later. He's like some computer programmer, right? Right. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I... Superman is bad, right? Oh, yeah. It's, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny. Like, Superman 4 is kind of profoundly bad in a way that can't Uh be understood but superman (laughs) 3 is like why is this like what even is like it's it's such a strange even as a kid i was like i it's got superman in it it's got a computer i i I love watching this movie but i'm still kind of like what's going on (laughs) yeah i i i have a slapstick it's like it's a it's such a strange idea yeah, it is weird. You know, a lot of his movies are weird. Like, I watched Brewster's Millions last year. That holds up pretty well. That's a pretty good movie. I watched Moving again. <laughs> Moving is a Richard Pryor movie with... God, who's in that? Um, who's the ugly Quaid? Uh, Randy Quaid. <laughs> I'm sorry, Randy. You, you know Dennis. I think you know that. We all know that. That's And that's a, that's a super broad... He made all these weird comedies that are almost like family comedies, but they're all rated R because he swears nonstop. 
though. Like, have you ever seen any of those movies? Like his his mid eighties stuff. I just remember them being like those were like you know again. I know your I know your video store past that stuff. Like the the movies I would see on the video store all the time. Oh yeah, and like the yeah. toy. I definitely saw the toy on cable because that's that's this is a, again a, a crazy concept. You know, he's yeah. like a he's like a he's like he's hired to entertain a child, a rich child, and isn't yeah. Jackie Gleason's like the rich guy, right? Jackie Gleason's the rich guy. Yeah. yeah, it's a you know that's one of those films. You know, I rewatched it recently, and I'm like, oh no, this is going to be problematic as hell. And actually, it really that it really wasn't that bad. Like, I was surprised because they do address the whole like you know you're you're hiring a you're making a black man kind of be this kid's slave, and they kind of bring that up in the movie, and and it's handled actually pretty well. I was surprised. Um, it's a stupid movie, <laughs> but. There's nothing wrong with stupid, you know, if you're in the right mood. I recommend moving because moving is just a crazy movie about like the move from hell. If if you've moved from another country, you know how bad moving can be. <laughs> yes. And this movie is about moving in the same country, but everything that goes wrong. And it has really er- a really early appearance with Dana Carvey. <sighs> and Morris Day has an amazing cameo. <laughs> nice. So. It's not the best movie, but it's one of those like 90-minute 80s comedies. If you're stuck at home, recommend it. Good stuff. And yeah, Richard Pryor, like again, you can't say enough good things about the guy. He was just an amazing, 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 amazing comedian. I wish he was in this movie more. But yeah, uh, because he's he's really, I think he's third or fourth build. Because second build is Jill Clayburn, Mm -hmm. who I know, who I had haven't seen in anything else really how about you i know i've i know i saw parts of uh unmarried women unmarried woman because i know that was a that was a big deal when that came out yeah i, yeah. I remember seeing i remember seeing that one years ago and i know that she also kind of late in her later years she just did a lot of tv stuff and then she mm-hmm. kind of passed away a little like young for her age yeah yeah it's it's Joe Claybird is like a lot of these actresses that I kind of feel bad for because they're great actresses, mm-hmm. but there's no good roles for women, especially back then. Right. And unless you're, you know, Meryl Streep or, you know, some another another huge actress, it's real, you know, Liz Taylor or somebody, it's really hard to get consistent work that's interesting roles. And I wonder how many times someone like her was offered so-and-so's wife, so-and-so's girlfriend, so-and-so's kidnapping victim, you know? Right. That's like, that's that's why, like, people like Deborah Winger quit acting because it's just the roles are so garbage. Like, she's so good in this movie. It Like, th- my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in this movie is very early in the film when she's flirting with Gene Wilder. Mm-hmm. And she is... She is, you know, guys, I, I, I hear, like, my, my straight friends always say they can never tell when a girl's in, into them. Like, watch this movie, and then you'll see what it's like. Because, like, she is, she, she latches on to Gene Wilder, and, like, yo, she's ready to go. Yeah, she wants, she wants Gene Wilder, like, at the table. She meets him at the table. It's like, I want, let's, let's you know, hurry up. And I'm not saying that in a bad way or a mean way. It's, like... It's a very well acted, very well written, realistic portrayal of somebody who wants a one night stand mm. and completely legit, completely consensual, completely everything's great. And man, like she's like, so tell me about. Oh, let's go to my room. Like, hi, you know, the end. And 
she's great in the role, and she she has a lot of she she has to keep up with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. <laughs> that's that's not easy, but I think she pulls it off pretty well. There's even that bit where she she sort of flirts with Ned Beatty to get rid of him. Sorry, spoiler. Ned Beatty's in this movie, mm-hmm. and yeah, like for a, for a quick second, you think she's gonna fuck Ned Beatty too. <laughs> I never, I never, I never think anyone's gonna fuck Ned Beatty. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ned Beatty. Ned Beatty's still alive. Ned Beatty. When you can't get George Kennedy, you get Ned Beatty. I love Ned Beatty because. But every good Ned Beatty film is a terrible Ned Beatty film. <laughs> and he's he's great in this kind of playing like I don't that's a, one of the spoilers. I don't like Ned Beatty's character is really interesting in this movie. He's very funny. Way too horny. Absolutely too horny for this movie. Way too he is 70s horny. Yeah. Like totally. I need to ask actually, this is good, it's coming out of nowhere, but in this movie, he describes uh he describes the act of uh sex as Hug and munch, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, well, you know what munch means, right? I, I guess, but I've, I've yeah, never I heard mean, that phrase you... before. It's hug and munch well, then, all the way to Chicago. Hey, man, like, what are you talking about, man? If 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 that's what he's saying, then hey, then that you know he's 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 a considerate lover. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. He had Ned Beatty had a great 1976. <laughs> uh, he was in this. He was in Gator with Burt Reynolds. He was in Network, and he was in All the President's Men. That's like... He only has one scene in Network, right? It's just the one scene. It's the one scene, but it's a damn good scene. Ned Beatty is in the 1990 version, the 1990s version of Captain America. Yeah. (laughs) Which is unwatchably terrible. Ned Beatty is in... The uh, what is it? The the Leslie Nielsen Exorcist spoof, Repossessed. Ned Beatty is in a movie that I loved as a kid. It's probably not good in any way, you know, in hindsight. But mm-hmm. the I want to say like late eighties spoof. It was, it's like a newspaper spoof, but because it's the eighties, it's about cable news called Switching Channels. Never heard of that one. Okay, that is it's a it's a comedy. It stars Burt Reynolds and uh, oh, Kathleen Turner. Oh dear, and it's like it's 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 like it's a movie with a weird legacy because like it was it's like a remake of a remake of a remake. Like every every decade or so, they make the same story about these people who are in the news business. But because it's like the late eighties, like oh, let's make it about cable news. Oh, and it's a remake of His Girl Friday. Probably, yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah, okay, yeah, and yeah. So no one, I don't think anyone actually likes that movie. But for me as a kid, I I was really into it because the sort of hotshot flirty guy who Kathleen Turner wants to be with and wants to leave Burt Reynolds for is played by in a rare against type for him Christopher Reeve wow that's a strange cast yeah and Ned Beatty's in that movie and he's just he's just I forget his exact role but he's some sort of he's some person in power and he's a real ass and really uh, Ned Ned Beatty (laughs) plays a corrupt asshole he never plays a corrupt asshole like that's his go-to my my favorite Ned Beatty role is in 1987's Rolling Vengeance. I have not seen that one. No one has seen this movie. No one has seen it. I love this movie. It is a Canadian exploitation film. Vigilante revenge movie. Mm. But in, but instead of using a gun, the guy built a monster truck. <laughs> Ned Beatty's great. May, may, may Ned Beatty outlive us all. <laughs> He's so good. He's one of the, the few people from this movie who is still alive. Yes, Almost yes. everyone yeah, else in the well, movie has, has been dead for a long time, unfortunately. Well... It's an old movie, and the cast was a lot of old people. Yes, you know, like, like uh, Patrick McGuhan. Yeah, Patrick McGuhan. 
you know, Devro or the bat, the, he's the bad guy. Spoiler. <laughs> Pat, seeing Patrick McGowan cast in this movie, it's one of those, it's like the casting where you see him, you're like, that's the bad guy. Because if it wasn't, they wouldn't get that guy to be the role. You right. Know? His, his first scene in the movie actually has no dialogue whatsoever. He just, he's just there. Someone, you know, he stares at someone and then the person leaves mm-hmm. the scene. And when you watch the movie, you're like, well, he's evil. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if if this movie was made eight years later, Christopher Walken would have played this role. Oh yeah, like, it is it is that kind of transparently evil. Patrick McGowan is again mostly a TV guy. He he was in The Prisoner. Oh yeah, uh, legendary in Secret Agent, legendary like cult TV shows. Did a few movies. He's in Scanners. Oh yeah, you know he's in <laughs> he's in Baby Secret of the Lost Legend, <laughs> the nineteen eighty five Brontosaurus movie, which. I know I saw in theaters <laughs> and in Braveheart and a few other things, but like he's mostly known for his old TV work and he has a great look of him when he wants to be evil. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's the King of England in Braveheart. He's, he's the ultimate yeah. evil in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen the time to kill. I assume he's a bad guy in that. I don't and, remember him being in that movie, but I, I, I remember the Phantom. I remember him being in the Phantom <laughs> <laughs> and uh the phantom i remember his late i mean it's late it's it's 20 years old now but to me it's still late era simpsons where he's there's a, there's a prisoner spoof and they just get him to be the prisoner spoof on the prisoner and it's just it's like oh it's patrick McGowan. yeah you know what, what, what else was he doing i think it was in the clerks yeah. i think it was in the clerks cartoon too like then braveheart <laughs> was so big he got a lot of work after that and just did a lot of did a lot of stuff again and i think he was in the clerks cartoon good for him the clerks cartoon's great <laughs> Yeah, but he's he's a great bad guy. I love his cronies, like because he has there's three of them. One of them I, I can never remember, but the the two of them. One of them is the dude who played Jaws in the Bond movie. Yeah, Richard Keel, like, who was seven foot two. Yes, I am six foot six. <laughs> that is terrifying. It is so wild to see Richard Keel pop in this movie because he is a very tall man. He doesn't talk that much. He's very intimidating, and his teeth are all messed up. So I was like, wait, is he doing Jaws? Is this like a Jaws joke? But this came out before yeah. The Spy Who yeah. Loved Me. Yeah, so, I was I w- <laughs> Yeah, I was flabbergasted. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> I mean, he must have gotten this right after he got fired from The Incredible Hulk, you know? Yeah, yeah, because he was the first Hulk. Yes, they, and they, then yeah, they, they shot the pile with him and then they realized, wait, he's not, he's not actually ripped, he's just tall. And they wanted to get a ripped guy instead. It's the it's the Incredible Hulk, not the Incredible Stalk. Yeah, and yeah, but he he he's he's just this good goon. My but the best goon is Mister Whiny, played by Ray Motherfucking Walston. Is this is this the toughest Ray Walston role ever? Like normally, I think of him just kind of like you know either nice old man or perhaps cranky old man. But in this movie, he is mean. <laughs> Ray Walston. I just talked. I don't want to talk about too much about him because I just talked about him in the episode about BMX Bandits and Rat. And Ray Walston is one of my all-time favorite actors who I would watch do anything. And what I'm watching him do in this movie is fucking shoot at cops. <laughs> and he has a checkered suit, and he's holding a machine gun at one point. And it's like, yo, this is my life goals. When I'm an old man, I want to be that cool. And, and yeah, he's great in this movie. He, I can't, you, I can't imagine that I... Before, if you told me before this movie that they had Ray Walston play a heavy, and he comes off as intimidating and scary, but Absolutely. he does. 
Yeah. And it's also oh. weird, you know, like you said before, but getting old, like this is a 76. He already, he already looks like he's in his late fifties, but he would act for like 30 more years. You know, I remember him, you know, for me as a Star Trek fan, you know, he, he appeared in that show as Boothby, this sort of he's weird, not- uh, yeah. the weird ground, the, 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 the groundskeeper at Starfleet Academy and just became this sort of recurring character of like, I'm a nice old groundskeeper, but I'm actually like very smart somehow. It's a really weird, but very, fr- again, very friendly role. He's not even 60 years old here. <laughs> he looks, <laughs> he looks, el- I mean, again, he is, he's definitely, he, he's intimidating. He, he, he does not give a shit about anybody. He absolutely like, he threatens Gene Wilder to his face, but it's like, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't, yeah. He looks. He looks much older. Yeah, he looks, yeah. Like, he looks like Burgess Meredith, honestly. Yeah, there's, there, yeah, there's the Sam Connery way of being fifty for thirty years, but then there's the Wilford Brimley way of being sixty for forty years. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the one that that Ray Walston fell into. I think the only other real like main role of note is Walston's played by Scatman Crothers. Love Scatman Crothers. No relation to Scatman. Nope. Like uh, the other Scatman and. Scatman Crothers, like, if you're listening to this, you've seen The Shining. He, he's in The Shining. And he was obviously a singer first, hence the name. I don't even know his real name. I don't want to know. Don't tell me. I don't... He's, he's don't need Scat, it. He's Scatman Crothers. That's it. it. Don't need it. He didn't start acting until he was in his 40s. And he has a really diverse filmography of ups and downs, like Hello, Dolly. He's in Roots, because every African-American actor was in Roots. <laughs> And that sounds in poor taste, but it's, it's true. Get them. <laughs> and, this, they needed. They needed everyone. They got everyone. They got them all. They got them. They got them all. And Mr. Brady. Yeah. And he's in Zapped. I get this. I get the sense that in the '80s, by that you know, I get he was. He didn't start acting till he was already in his 40s. So at this point, he's got to be in his 60s, right? In this movie, like he's. Oh, he has. Yeah, he's he's in his 60s. Yeah, right. No, he's he's older than I would have to imagine. He's older than that. I think like, he spent the rest of his 80s, like in. The, I think he spent the rest of the 80s, which might have been his 80s. Like he did a lot of yeah. voice acting because he had a great voice, and he probably yeah, showed up for any any movie that just wanted him to do like one scene. Like I can't believe mm-hmm. he's he can, he can't have a major part in Zapped, right? It's got to be a small part. So in you know not this, how do I phrase this politely? <laughs> so you know the stereotype of the magical Negro. Yeah. He's not magical, but he's the the supportive one. Like he is very much the the friendly older African American gentleman who helps the young white kid get what he wants. Zapped is a horrifically bad film. It's not a good movie. What is a good movie is Transformers the movie because he and he's in that. He's jazz. That's yeah, one of his last movie. And he was a, he was in the cartoon too. He yeah yeah yeah. He did the, the, the TV actor. the TV version and the and the movie version. Yeah, yeah. He's also in one of my favorite black exploitation films, Truck Turner, with uh, Isaac Hayes. That and uh, that's a great movie. And Yafet Koto's in it. Look that one up. He's the only other real actor. I do really think it's funny. There's a guy named Clifton James in this. He plays a seraph. He only really has one scene, but I wanted to mention him because he plays a bumbling fat cop in like eight hundred things. <laughs> That's his one job. Now, in that case, yeah. you know, it's funny. We, I, I thought for, I thought for sure Richard Keel was doing a Bond thing, but this came first. But mm-hmm. Clifton James was in two Bond movies before this as a fat sheriff. Yes, yes. he's he's in Live and Let Die right. and the Man of the Golden he is Gun. That guy. Yeah, he's he's one of the he's rare that. characters. He's one of the rare characters to appear in more than one Bond movie who's who's not named James Bond. Yeah, totally. He he is uh he's a cop in Superman two. He's a cop in the Dukes of Hazard TV show. He is a cop in so many movies. He's a cop in the Laughing Policeman. He's he's 
he's a cop. I think he's a cop in uh, Tick, 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 which is a, another black Plantation movie. He's definitely in that movie. And yeah, if you look at his credits, it's like colonel, detective, captain, officer, officer, sergeant, officer, officer. It's like the dude found work, you know? If he, he wanted a bumble- He had the look, you know? He, you look at him, you're like, you're, yeah, okay. Yeah, and he, I think he might have been one of the last surviving people in this movie because he passed away in 2017 at the age of 96. That's amazing. Go Clifton James. I like it when the really big fat guys live a long time. It gives me hope. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's the, that's the cast. A great cast. A lot of good small roles too. Like Fred Willard's there for five minutes. I was, that was the one I absolutely did not remember. And then like when he showed up basically yeah, at the end of the movie, you're like, Oh, that's just Fred Willard. And he's not even, he's not even making jokes. He's just there. <laughs> yeah it's a very straight role like it's not his first movie i know i know that fred willard's first why do i know this okay fred willard's first movie is teenage mother <laughs> he plays the coach in teenage mother which is a 1960s exploitation film i know that movie i've never seen it but it's on one of those trailer compilation discs that get put out and the narrator in that is very new york and so it the movie's not Teenage Mother, it's Teenage Mother. This is the story of a girl who wasn't careful. Teenage Mother means nine months of trouble. This I would love to see that. I, he- I, I heard that's a really good, so bad it's good movie. So maybe one day I'll check it out. Yeah, I think the cast and crew really come together to make just a, like we said, a fantastic movie. And it's such a it's it's a hard movie to describe, like you said, Diamond, because it kind of goes everywhere, right? <laughs> it definitely. I mean, it's it's definitely comedy. I want to say it's comedy up front. Like they want you, they want you to be there to laugh. I feel like you know, the casting wise, you know, you got Gene, you got Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Like they want you to laugh, but mm-hmm. the fact is, yeah, it's like there's. There's foul, there's foul play. There are you know, there's crimes on the train, and you know, yeah. people people get killed on this train, and it's just there are some yeah there are a lot of scenes where there are no jokes. It's just it's just drama, but it's also like, but yeah, then Gene Wilder gets upset, and you're like, oh, this is this is kind of funny. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I think it was kind of unique for that time of combining romance comedy. The, when you read about people when they're making the movie, they, they're constantly quoting North by Northwest. I feel like this movie is an homage almost to North by Northwest. And Gene Wilder is playing Cary Grant, like without question. And it's funny. It's, 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 I don't know if it is because like North by Northwest is practically a comedy. Have you seen that movie? Not in a long time. I'm afraid. Well, I mean, if you watch it nowadays, it's, 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 it's more of a comedy than anything else. And I feel like this is that kind of movie updated for the 70s. And since it's the 70s and they can do more, there's more sex and there's more violence. And I think the combination of sex and violence, not a ton of, not a ton of sex or a ton of violence, although it is pretty violent, especially at the end. It's definitely the kind of movie that nowadays it's like most blockbusters, right? A comedic action movie. But I feel like this is kind of ahead of its time. I mean, 
by all means, I would love to be proven wrong on this, but this must be the, the highest body count Gene Wilder has in a movie, right? He kills oh, multiple people. <laughs> does he kill people? He does. He, he does. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yes, he does. He, he kills, kills people. people. Yeah, he a lot of people get killed and he kills a few people. Yes, it is the highest. But yes. I mean, no at man. least one of them is self-defense, but one of them's just like, yeah. One, one of them is like, he, he didn't have to kill that guy. <laughs> hey, you know, the guy, he earned it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, like, it's it starts out very Pure comedy with Gene Wilder and uh, Joe Clayburgh very obviously flir- flirting. They're going to have a good night. They go back to, they coincidentally, they have a good meet cute, which is, you know, accidental peeping Tom, but because <laughs> they're sharing, they have a, they both have private rooms in the train and he opens the door and sees getting dressed. And it's an accident. So that's, you know, he's not being creepy or anything. But at that point, she looks at him and she's like, how you doing? Yeah, it's <laughs> good for her. She's good almost ready. She's almost ready. It's like I'm already yeah. half naked. Let's just let's just let's just get started. <laughs> well, it's the seventies, man. Whatever. And they go back to the room to to have sex, and then Gene Wilder sees a dead body fall off the train, <laughs> and which they they him. do still have sex though. That's what blows my mind. You know. Hey, you know. <laughs> I'm not as I'm not saying I couldn't have sex after seeing a dead man fall off a train, but it will be difficult. It just it, it depends. It's so well it when I watched the movie again and I, and that scene happened and I was like, oh oh, they get interrupted by a dead body. Oh my god! But she, I guess, again, and this is sort of the movie doesn't really tell you. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if she is in on the scheme or not. I don't think she is because. because in this scene where he's like, I just saw a dead body, she treats him like he's already high or something. Like, oh, no, you, you couldn't possibly see that. Like, she denies him, like, like straight up front. And either it's because she's so horny she doesn't want to stop, or it's because she's in on it. I don't know. It I could think, go either way. I think it's A. I think it's A. <laughs> because she her, because as the scheme, which we won't get into details about the scheme, yeah. as the scheme unfolds, she is very much not willing, and her demeanor changes completely. Yeah, she gets. In, yeah, and, she definitely gets in trouble later on, and she is definitely you know put in peril. But there's there's a couple scenes early on where she acts so suspiciously. I'm like, are you in on this, or are you just what's your deal? Yeah, and the movie I, doesn't I, really tell. The movie doesn't really tell you. So I think it's I think it's up to you, the viewer. I I think I I want to I want to be innocent and say that she has no idea because if she had an idea, then she's in on a murder. And that's not a girl you want to hook up with, mm-hmm. you know, even if she is hot. So, so, but then like from there, Gene Wilder's character through this, this gets, loses the train. He gets, he gets, he gets removed from the train in hilarious fashion. And in his continuing efforts to get back on the train, because I think he gets, he gets, he, yeah, this, he gets on the train, off the train, on the train, off the train, like a few times mm-hmm. during one of those times. Almost, almost halfway through the film, I think more than halfway through the film, he finally meets Gene Wilder. And then, duh, Richard Pryor. He finally meets Richard Pryor. Right. And the entire feel, the entire, this, everything about the film takes a huge shift, I think, for the better. It's, it was already a good movie, and it becomes a great movie when Richard Pryor shows up. Right. Well, I mean, his you know he adds his energy to the to the movie. You know, is a transformation, and he you know he kicks up a notch, and he's he's more you know he's very like he and Gene Wilder work to complement each other, but they're also they're both very different 
you know, personalities. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they, mm-hmm. they, they sort of feed on each other. And of course, you know, we will get to the, we'll get to the big scene. <laughs> oh yeah. We'll but get to that in a minute. Yeah. That scene, you know, that scene has, has the two of them are, are playing in different, very different directions in that one scene. And I think it's, it's, it, it made me laugh. You know, I'm, I'm watching the scene. I'm like, this is, this is a little weird to watch today, but it's, it still made me laugh. It still made me yeah, laugh even and, today. I can't, I can't and, help but laugh at it. And they have such great chemistry, which, which is funny because they were not friends really. They, especially here, they met filming this movie and when you talk, when you hear them talk about each other later on, they, they have nice things to say about each other, but they they weren't like hanging out, you know. <laughs> they they did a few movies together that made a lot of money, and they had, I guess, a natural chemistry, and they really enjoyed working with each other when cocaine was not an issue, <laughs> you know. And but but yeah, Richard Pryor plays this car thief who gets involved kind of without planning to, and without without really wanting to and you know he is really down to help this dude for no reason (laughs) i think i mean i guess part of it's you know thanks for helping me out but then yeah Yeah. as it gets more and more dangerous he still sticks like at no point does he's like you know what i've i've really had enough (laughs) yeah What's the most famous scene in this movie? Aside from the fact that it ends with a train crash, which is also in all the commercials. Yeah, yeah. uh, It's got to be a blackface scene. Yeah, so now we are going to be two white people talking about blackface. We'll try our best. Why don't you describe the scene? So, yeah, I've lost count of how many times he's been put off the train at this point, but Gene Wilder's trying to get back on the train. And mm-hmm. they, you know, at this point, he's he's wanted by the police, and he and Gene Wilder are are at the train station, so they're about to get back on the train, but the cops are there, and his face is everywhere, so he's like, well, how do we get back on the train? And the idea, at least in the story, the idea comes from Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor's like, I will just, I will put makeup on you, and you just, all we need to do is get you past these two cops who are waiting at the door. Yeah. And he's like... He's like, you'll do great. Al Jolson made millions this way. <laughs> yeah, so that's the one reason, again, I obviously, I do not have the power to grant anyone a pass for this scene, but for me, watching it today, it still plays as funny to me because the energy is that he doesn't want to do it, and he thinks it's a terrible idea, mm-hmm. but he does it anyway, and it is so ridiculous, and it absolutely is not plausible in the slightest, and Richard Pryor the whole time is making this ridiculous face. It's like, I can't believe I did this to him, <laughs> And this is a bad idea, but we're doing it, so let's just get it over with. I mean, it's a funny scene, and I feel... So, again, I'm a white guy. I live in Japan. I, I am as removed as from this as possible. But you can't say... When someone says this movie has blackface, oh no. Not all inappropriate comedy is created equal. And... I feel what they're doing with that in this movie 
you cannot put it in the same category as like old blackface or demeaning blackface or blackface minstrel shows blackface. It's not the same thing. The joke is that it's a bad idea. And I, I have never met anybody of any color who has seen this movie and was like offended. I, I've tried, I read a lot of articles about this movie and it seems that like the ratio of this is wrong to this is right. It's like the good, the people who aren't offended by it kind of out of, of all colors, not, you know, probably it's about a three to one ratio. People think it's hilarious and in, in now and people think it's bad. So I feel it accomplished the impossible <laughs> and made a blackface scene that relatively holds up well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just, it's, it's goofy and it's silly and absolutely if every single person in the scene thinks we think thinks it shouldn't happen and it happens anyway. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, they immediately regret it. <laughs> I mean, there are, it is funny. Cause like when you watch this on Amazon, it says rated and it's in alphabetical order. The, 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 the plot, the, the rating reasons It says rated 13 plus for blackface, <laughs> drug use, foul language, sexual content and violence. And I get it's alphabetical order and that's why it comes first. But it is just a funny, it's like, oh, so blackface is a 13 plus rating. Okay, good to know, I guess. I would say to, no me, as a, tell- to me as a viewer today, it's the, the, the hard R racial slurs are more shocking than the blackface. Yeah, there is a lot of, uh, and also like the fact that the, the only black characters in this film are staff and thieves. Yeah, like that's, that's, that's probably more glaring, the fact that. That's more glaring to me. Right. It was like. It's it's like that's the bigger issue. That's the thing that makes it kind of cringe now. Is poor Scatman Crothers has to be a porter? You know, that's that's a bummer. The the I, you know again, who I am, who I am. How the hard R N words are used, I feel, makes sense in the role. The bad guy is going to say that. Yeah, I mean it's he's like he's he's a very bad person. So yeah, it just I they just, really when it happens, I was kind of like, oh, whoa, okay. And the re, the reacts, it's great. <laughs> Richard Pryor's reaction is amazing. Yes, and I, you know that, like I, I feel so stupid talking about it. Like you know, Richard Pryor used that word a lot, a lot in his stand up. He he was one of the first comedians to really do that, and I think. For him at the time, he thought it was probably funny, and it was good shock value. Like you saw that that Johnny Carson clip, right? Yeah. And so there's a, there's an interview that's on YouTube. You can watch um, to show you how much times have changed. Really, you can see Richard Pryor talking to Johnny Carson about this movie. The clip they show is the, the blackface. <laughs> yes. And and but Richard Pryor is dropping the N word nonstop and. I don't know if it was censored at the time. It's censored on YouTube. Mm. But then um, Johnny Carson says it to him. Like, he doesn't he doesn't call him that, right. obviously. But he says, you use this word a lot. Nowadays, you wouldn't say that. But the way he's saying it is obviously he's repeating what, he's like, why do you use this word? He, you know? he deliberately avoids using it before Richard Pryor comes out. But once Richard yeah, Pryor yeah. says it multiple times, he's like, so what about that word? Do you do you have a problem? Do you have a problem with people? Uh, do people give you a problem with that word? He's like, yeah, they 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 object to it all the time. 
Yeah, and I don't have a problem with Johnny Carson asking the question and saying the word in, in the 70s. That's that's the time. People have to remember, like, back then, you could say that word on TV. It's, this reminds me of, a, there was one of one of the more famous uh, Saturday Night Live sketches is Richard Pryor on, uh, with, with um, Chevy Chase. Oh. Yes. And it's like they do the, the word association, and 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 Chevy says the word, and, and again, Richard Pryor has the best reaction. Well, they they would say it on All in the Family. They would say it on the Jeffersons. I'm pretty sure they said it in Good Times, and it, it had whenever someone was saying it, it was usually a bad person saying it for bad reasons. But mm. it was not as taboo. I mean, it was still a bad word. And if you, if a white person said it to a black person, that was the worst thing they could possibly say. But bad people saying it in media was more accepted. And people saying it to say what that person said, like he called that person blank. You could say it more. And the times changed. And for the better, I think. But it's just, it's just such a shock to see this kind of fun, even though it has murder in it, kind of lighthearted fun comedy, and then those boom, like whoa, <laughs> yeah. It, do you think it's problematic now, or just it is what it is, or what? What's your take on it? I mean, me watching it today, I, I recognize it as it's, it's from a different era, but I guess yeah. I definitely think it's having it up front as a as sort of a content warning makes sense. Like just just so you know, this movie has that. But I feel like if you watch the yeah. movie and it happens. I don't think the movie treats it flippantly in that. Like, no. like again, the people who use the language are, are definitely not friendly people. Like Gene Wilder yeah. does not call Richard Pryor. No, no, you know he never I mean? says it. No, no. Like that, bad that would be, that would be, you know, worse than the blackface, in my opinion. Um, no, totally, totally, totally. Yeah. But yeah. And the, and the blackface scene is there and it's just kind of like, yeah, it's, it's all played for laughs and everyone, but everyone mm-hmm. in the scene is also like, they almost are almost about to laugh about it too. It's just kind of, a, mm-hmm. And it makes yeah. me laugh to even even me Rick today who was like and you know we both not to get too off topic but we live in a country that it still seems a little too okay with blackface. Yeah, there was a blackface. What is that New Year's Eve show? Oh my god, Downtown Sky uh, I I forget the Japanese title, but like yeah, every year they have the they have the, sh- the, the 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 gag where they're they're not supposed to laugh at each other. And a couple yeah. of years ago, one of the actors was dressed up like Eddie Murphy. Uh, in blackface with dark makeup and it's just like oh you're you're still doing that huh okay yeah and every time they it seems that every year it happens the reaction the the negative reaction does get stronger and i feel that pissed off some people but yeah it it it, it we still see it here and it's gross and i hate it and it pisses me off and when i teach english here and someone tries to defend it i have i have almost gotten in trouble <laughs> Because like, no, you're wrong. You're just wrong. Yeah. You want me to come out and tape my eyes and like put on yellow makeup? That's not good, right? It's still it's wrong. You shouldn't do it. So don't please don't make so anyone listening, please don't think I'm defending blackface. Yeah. Like it's bad. I just feel like context matters for comedy. And in this very specific instance, they pull off the impossible and holy shit, it somehow works. So <laughs> It's crazy. Hey, 
another crazy thing in the movie is is that train sequence at the end. The train stunts in this movie are amazing. I I'm always blown away by train stunts because you're on a train. <laughs> yeah, I mean honestly, it's, <laughs> as an action movie, it's it's got a lot of good action. You can see when it's a stuntman usually like I'm shout out to the stuntman who had Ned Beatty's physique. <laughs> <laughs> you know, good for him when his character's running on top of the train. Like, there's those, and then like Gene Wilder's character's flung off the train, and that's obviously a stunt man, but that person is f- flying off a train. And I always wonder, I wish there was more like behind the scenes footage for this movie. Like, how do you film that? How do you do a retake for a train stunt? Do you back the train up? Like, what do you do? I don't know. You I know? don't know. I mean, I guess. I mean, some of it, some of it must be a model, but some of it seems like it's full size. So, like, is it just a, is it like a editing two things together? Is it, you know, is, <sighs> like the scenes where like people fly off the train? Yeah, like they're jumping off a moving train. Trains take a while to get up to their speed, so that's a high, that's a high risk in terms of safety and in time to get those stunts right. It's really crazy. Then the end when the, like you said, it's in the trailers when the train plows through the train station. That's incredible. Yeah, it's bursting through walls, and and you can and there there are shots with people in the shot too. So it definitely like yeah. at some point they had some kind of full size stunt that happens. Like, yeah, and and one part the fake wall nearly hits a dude. <laughs> like it's really close, and it's it's really crazy. I'm I'm impressed that they were able to pull it off so well in in a movie that was definitely a comedy first. But I I think. You know, when the movie came out, it did very well. It made $50 million on a $5 million budget, but critics were kind of up and down on it. Some reviews are like, common complaint is the story's bad. Like, this one guy from the Miami News is like, you can... All the reviews, even a lot of the good reviews are half bad. Like, this review from Bill Von Mora on the Miami News. The story's preposterous. You can see the gags coming. It's still fun. And that's the recurring theme. It's like, it takes time to get going, but it's fun. Some people hated it. <laughs> There's the one. Silver Streak is relentlessly idiotic. <laughs> so that's by a guy from the Akron, a guy named Dick Ship. Sorry to laugh at that's. I'm a child, but that's like Dick Army. Dick Ship. Dick Ship. Dick. <laughs> sorry. Dick Ship from the Akron Beacon Journal. He did not like it. Maybe he had a rough life with that name and he just couldn't find comedy. But. I feel this movie's reputation grew in the years afterwards to the point where it was on the AFI list for comedies and because it was on TV a lot, right? That's that was for me. I, that was my experience. I grew up. I grew up watching this movie on TV, and I don't think I don't think they had they had to cut much out of it. Yeah, other than the N words. Would they? I wonder if WBX yeah, cut they, it out of. I don't know if they did. I don't know. Well, it's, yeah, I guess now they would. Now they would for sure. But I don't know yeah, if they did they when I was a kid. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But yeah, it still it made a ton of money and that led to more work for Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. They followed this up in 1980, I want to say, 1980. I think Stir with, Crazy's 80, yeah. Yeah, Stir Crazy in 1980. And I love Stir Crazy. It's a stupid movie. It's a it's a prison movie. Yeah. For a prison comedy in the 80s, there was a surprising, I don't want to say lack of prison sex jokes, but they're not that bad. <laughs> Less than normal. <laughs> and and it's not 
there was a gay there was an obviously gay character who gets a lot of agency and it's a good character. Mm. So it could be a lot worse, but I I really like Stir Crazy. I, I recommend Stir Crazy if you want to see a good dumb comedy. And then they teamed up together. We already talked a bit about that. See no evil, hear no evil. Can you t- tell? Give people the ta- the the plot line for that that movie. Well, it's 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 high concept because oh it, yeah, the highest the title, the title tells you what's happening. Richard Pryor is blind. Uh, Gene Wilder is deaf. They meet each other by accident. And then somehow, kind of like this movie, somehow they get involved in a in a massive criminal conspiracy. Yes, Gene Wilder is a deaf man who can speak perfect English and read lips perfectly. Right, but if you talk too yeah. fast or if you look away, then he can't. And they make they make a lot of good. On again, I we you know I don't want to speak about ableism, or whatever. Like to me, to me as a kid, I thought it was a very funny movie, and the amount of the situations they came up with to make the two of them be out of their element, you know. Yeah. Like there's a scene where Gene Wilder like rescues Richard Pryor for, like from a greenhouse or whatever and yeah. he has to break a window and so he sets off an alarm but he can't hear it. So he's <laughs> sneaking forward and pretending to be silent and Richard yeah. Pryor just staring is you know, he's blind but he's he starts staring forward like, well, that's the alarm. <laughs> yeah. And I I there's a great scene in that movie where uh, Gene Wilder is getting a mug shot and he can't see the lips of the woman who wants him to turn his head or look forward, and it keeps going back and forth. Right. And he lose, she loses her mind and then starts yelling, shit, 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 shit. And Gene Wilder says to, to Richard Pryor, is, he, is she saying sip or shit? <laughs> and he says, shit. Like, oh, yeah. Like, it wouldn't make much sense for her to say ship a lot, would Yeah, I guess not. So, so yeah, I like See No Evil, Hear No Evil. It's probably, of those three, the worst one. And then they made one more. Have you seen Another You? I don't remember that one at all. Yeah, it, it bombed. It came out in 91. I think by that point, Richard Pryor's health, because Richard Pryor had uh, multiple sclerosis. Yeah. He was diagnosed in the late 80s. By 1990, you could tell. And it it was it's I've seen parts of it. It's sad. Like, don't watch it. It it'll make you feel bad. <laughs> it's I one mean, of those. The see no evil, see no that's hard to say. See no evil, hear no evil is 89. Mm-hmm. And they both mm-hmm. they both look pretty old. <laughs> yeah, and but but I feel like, you know. Multiple sclerosis is a real motherfucker, and mm. you can get a you can go down and you can your quality of life can go down fast. Yeah, I mean, as I recall, he did like he did like a like a late mid nineties movie, and like he's just straight up in a wheelchair at that point. Yeah, his last movie's his last movie is one scene in Lost High. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and he's he's in a wheelchair. <laughs> he's in a wheelchair. That's a, that's more of a cameo, I think. Mm. You know, and he has a, he did a few TV things. He was on an episode of the Norm Macdonald sitcom. <laughs> Which is, that's the last thing he ever did. Wow. <laughs> so, and again, it was a cameo, you know. And I think he was in an episode of Chicago Hope playing somebody with MS. But I feel like, yeah, watching that and even Harlem Nights a bit, you can kind of tell that he's not doing so good. And it's like watching Ali past his prime. Don't do it. Mm. Just go out on top. Watch, I would say, the la- watch Moving. Moving from 88. Again, it's one of your difference, but you can tell. Moving's, moving's a silly, dumb movie. Brewster's Millions is a great, dumb movie. 
you know, let those be your memories of Richard Pryor. Superman 3 is a baffling, strange movie. <laughs> Superman 3 is Superman 3, and it's very... Should I watch Superman 3 again? I mean, there are little bits of, there are little bits of it that are, I think, legit good. There's definitely the scene, the scene everyone still talks about is a scene where Superman fights himself. Yeah, okay. Um, and there's definitely Richard Pryor scenes where he is just going all out and he's being crazy Richard Pryor, which I think work. But yeah, as a, as a movie, as a cohesive story, it's very strange. We'll sum this one up. Got anything else to say about this or any any other thing you want to talk about? Uh, just to, yeah, I mean, just to reiterate, I think what we said is like, you know, it's a weird movie. It absolutely, they don't make a lot of, they don't really do this kind of thing anymore. But if you look at the other, you know, I met, we mentioned foul play and mm-hmm. honestly, yeah, see no evil, hear no evil is kind of a similar thing because it has actors and jokes. But like, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know that anyone still makes like comedy, like, it's a bunch of comedians doing funny stuff, but actually it's kind of an action movie and it's very serious. I don't know that they, they bother doing that anymore. I mean, it's a lot you know? of action comedies. Like, Kev, like that's, that's, that's like Kevin Hart's wheelhouse now. And, you know, either, uh, yeah. you know, but this is, I think, a different style of it in that it's it's a caper movie almost, too. Yeah. And the comedy is much, the comedy and the suspense and the intrigue are much more above the action. Hmm. There's only one act, there's only like, there's a couple of really quick action scenes on the train, but the big action is the last, like last act, you know, before that it's more of a comedy. And I would say, like you said, what's, what's foul play. You recommend foul play. Yeah. Foul play is definitely like, yeah, it's, it's like they're ordinary people. They get in trouble. They're, they're trying to deal with situations that they, they don't quite understand. And mm-hmm. like, there's, there's a mystery element. They're being chased. There's no train, but there's, you know, there's a lot of tension and, and I guess it's, I guess they do. They're traveling places, but it's not by train. There might be a train scene though. <laughs> There's a good a movie that I think I mentioned in another episode of this when I talked about Walter Matthau. There's a movie mm. called Hopscotch <laughs> with Walter Matthau and Ned Beatty and uh, Sam. No, um, what's the guy from Law and Order? Sam uh, Watterson. Yeah, Sam Watterson, not Sam Elliott. Sam Watterson, and. <laughs> That's a, a spy movie of Walter Matthau, and that's a caper film. He's traveling, in this case, around the world. And it's kind of an action movie, but mostly a comedy, and almost everyone in it is a comedian. So I think that is a similar film, and also it's just a great movie. So if you're looking for some good, another good like 70s caper action comedy, emphasis on comedy over the action, check out Hopscotch. Criterion put that out to tell you like the level of movie that is. That's a fantastic movie. So, yeah. I guess you could say that if you want, if you want a movie, if you want a suspenseful movie about a train, but with none of the comedy, you could watch the Taking a Pelham One Two Three, which also has Water and Walter Matthau in it. Taking a Pelham One Two Three, one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> Never see the remake. Never see the remake. There's two remakes. They're both bad. Uh, yeah, take, two remakes. There's a TV. There's a TV movie. Oh, oh yeah, also yeah. Bad, okay, I forgot about bad. that one. Yeah. Yes. No, but Taking a Pelham One Two Three is a good. Tra- yeah, train movies. We got Taking a Pelham One Two Three. <laughs> 
<laughs> There's the original version of Murder on the Orient Express. I guess, you know, it's funny. Now I'm starting to think of a bunch of movies that are comedic, comedic action, but they're built around the fact that the, the comedians are all playing cops. Mm. So I'm, thinking, I'm suddenly thinking of Money Train. That's a weird movie. That is yeah. a very weird movie, but it's like Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson are both yeah. cops, and it's yeah. like so they're goof like it's action stuff, but they're goofing around and they're having they're having a fun time. Yeah, and yeah. or like Bad Boys, where it's like they're cops and they're goofing around, and having a good time, but they're also like they're the scenes where they shoot a bunch of people. <laughs> Bad Boys is an action movie, equal parts action and comedy, and that's a, Ben. That's a, that's a Bruckheimer, you know, right? That's that's, that's way over the, the action that's is way, totally bonkers. Yeah. I get because I think like this is like. If you like, there's one level of bad boys, and then like, then there's this, and kind of in the middle is Beverly Hills Cop, you know? Yeah. Words. So I think this is kind of like Beverly Hills Cop. I think it's 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 a comedy that takes that takes the danger seriously. Mm. And yeah, so yeah, like, we're, we're, we're kind of going in circles. Yeah, but no, regardless, <laughs> it's a great movie. It's a fantastic movie. I whenever I hear people talk about Wilder and Pryor, they mention Stir Crazy and Seen Evil, Hill Evil, and they don't talk about this. See this movie. It's a good, goofy, wacky, very broad comedy that I can't imagine you dislike. Rewatching it now for the first time in probably 20 years, I had a good time watching it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, but Diamond, can you tell people? You already did a little bit, but again, can you tell people where they can find you on the good old internet? Sure. Uh, so most in most places you can find me as Fight Club. That's F-E-I-T, like my last name, C-L-U-B, like the noun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I've also been streaming a lot on Twitch lately. Uh, I have Patreon. I have Ko-Fi. Uh, Ko-Fi, I get that wrong all the time. About, yeah. So um, my Retronauts stuff, of course, Retronauts is its own Patreon, which I'm yeah. very happy to be a part of. But if you just like what I'm doing and you want to help me out, uh, I have my own thing for that. But um yeah, I'm I'm very much online, and this year has been uh, kind of up and down year for me because I was I was laid off this year, uh, but it has allowed me to do more stuff like podcasts about things. So yeah, you know, there's an upside. Yeah, always has an upside. And uh, like I said before, you can find me on Twitter at Lost Turntable, and I also have a website, LostTurntable.com. You can check me out there. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be back again next week with another episode of Cinema Oblivia. Thank you. Sure.